my name is Sajit and I'm one of the elders here. It's great to see all of you. And I have the privilege and the joy of sharing with you this penultimate message in our series on rethinking sexuality. All right. Um, now, what I want to do is just for the sake of those of you who might be visiting us today for the first time, or even if you come in over the last couple of weeks, and certainly with the Roots guys, except for the one who sat in this morning, uh, most of you don't really know why we're going with this and we're landing a series so i just want to recap it so that uh, it gives you some context and you have an understanding of where we're going right one of the things that we've seen throughout this series that is that human sexuality our sexuality is this gift from god it is something that is kind of infused with the revelation of god's design for us and a revelation of god himself and the problem with this masterpiece is that we've kind of got it messed up. Now, that's not always a case of, uh, hey, I've gone out there and sinned deliberately. But the reality is that we live in a world that is fallen. And so because of that, our view of this beautiful gift has been marred and twisted. But we find that even in the context of marriage, God does something wonderful. He points us to himself. Our desire, our yearning, our longing for companionship and intimacy is a picture of what God desires for us. He desires relationship with you. He desires that you begin to know Him in a deeper and more meaningful way. He wants to reveal Himself to you and our hunger, our longing for companionship is a picture of this longing that exists within us for true, true intimacy with God. Even in our singleness. For those of you, these young guys here who think, well, I'm single, what do I do? But the decision, the choice to remain pure, to save yourselves for the one that God has intended and to express human sexuality within the context of marriage, that decision to stay pure in itself is an act of worship to a jealous God. And so we have this beautiful gift. And like I said, the unfortunate part is if there is something so divine in human sexuality, then there must surely be an enemy. Last time I shared this, I shared this quote from Christopher West. He says, if the body and sex are meant to proclaim our union with God, and if there's an enemy who wants to separate us from God, what do you think he is going to attack? If we want to know what's most sacred in this world, all we need to do is look for what is most violently profaned. The enemy is no dummy. He knows that the body and sex are meant to proclaim the divine mystery. And from his perspective, this proclamation must be stifled. Men and women must be kept from recognizing the mystery of God in their bodies. See friends, the point of pornography, the point of sexual abuse and shame is not merely just to keep you wrapped in bondage or in sin, but it is to keep you separate from your creator. To keep you separate from God and recognizing the love of God in your life and mine by receiving Jesus Christ. That's the whole point of it. But the good news is that Jesus came to redeem our sexuality. He came to rescue us. He's a God who restores. And over the last while, even as our hearts have broken over some of the testimonies that we've heard from here, we've cried with those who shared their pain in such an open and vulnerable way. But at the same time, our eyes and our heads were lifted in hope because we saw that there is a God who redeems and rescues us. 
there's a call for us to carry this to the world. And while we've looked inwardly for the longest time, I think this series has been going on for about seven, seven or eight weeks. Yeah, We've been looking inward. We've been allowing the Holy Spirit to stir and move us. And perhaps for some of us, there's been some healing that God has brought in place. For some of us, there's a revelation that I don't need to live in shame. I don't need to hide in dark corners because the God who loved me, who created me, has caused me to walk out of darkness. And for some of us, it's been there. But that revelation must go beyond ourselves. So while we've looked inward and allowed the Holy Spirit to work, over the last while, the last three messages really, we're going to be looking at how we carry this message outward. So last week, Rob spoke to us about this radical middle line we are called to walk between love on the one side and truth on the other and how we express that. And today, I want to take us a few steps forward as we engage with the world around us, carrying this message of love and truth. I want to give us some really, really practical tools on how we do that. Because it's one thing to understand this from an abstract perspective and say, yeah, it's true, you need to talk about Jesus. But how do you do that? And let's be honest, most of us struggle with it. So here are some really practical tools that I'm trusting would enable you, equip you, and you'll feel empowered to carry this as the Holy Spirit works in and through you. So we close our eyes for a moment. Holy Father, I come before you in the name of Jesus. Lord, I surrender myself first under your hand. I pray, Lord, that even though it's my voice, it's your words they hear. Holy Spirit, I trust that in this moment you minister to our hearts. Thank you that you're still moving. You're still the God who raises the dead. You're still the God who brings life, who heals, who rescues, who redeems. I thank you, like the song said, Lord, that you are in the room. And so, Holy Spirit, open our ears to hear. Open our hearts that there be a rich, fertile soil in which your word is planted, that it might bear much fruit for your name's sake, the advancing of your kingdom, for your glory, in Jesus' name. There's a 14-year-old boy who, in Sydney, Australia, who goes up to his parents and he comes out and says, I'm homosexual. And his unfortunate experience with some of the Christian friends that he had caused him to be this rabid activist for, in favor of the whole LGBTQ, ABCD community. There's just so many letters being added on to that. Soon you'll find some Greek ones. But, uh, but at the age of 19, he encountered Jesus. And in his book, A War of Loves, David Bennett writes and he talks about his friend who despite everything that he professed and did, loved him, accepted him, spent time with him, invited him to church, invited him to prayer meetings until one day he gave his life to Jesus. And today he's the author of many books and he talks about what it is like for him to recognize that he must live a life that is celibate because he's leaning, he's urgent, his urging and his tendencies are still towards people of the same sex. But he says, but now there's a greater urging in my life to live in a way that honors my king. 
And so he says, I recognize, I need to lay this down. It's a battle that he fights every day. But he's chosen that I will live in a way that honors my king. One person influenced his life. And today, he influences many. There was another young man who, in his mid to late teens, spent his life, well, basically partying hard. He was a bit of a wild child, spent a lot of his time in the nightclubs and all that kind of stuff. And uh, one day, he encountered Jesus. Again, he talks of the many people who came into his life, who spent time with him, who invested in him, even when he was not interested. That young man, Terry Virgo, today is the founder of New Frontiers, a ministry and apostolic sphere that reaches into many nations, planting many churches and carrying the message of the gospel because someone invested in him. See, friends, when you look at the incarnation, look at these texts, John 1.14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. I want you to think of that for a minute because it's a familiar text, isn't it? It's one that we can read with such familiarity that we go past it thinking, Lord, I want to get to deeper truth. But here's deep truth right here. The Word, God Himself, became flesh, came as a man, endured what you and I go through, suffered like we did, walked in the heat of the desert. He became flesh and dwelt among us. In 1 John 1, we find this text. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word. You see, right, the tactile nature of God's love for us. That this is real. He came. He, he, he was with us. That which was. We have seen it, testified to it, and proclaimed to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. One of the things that the incarnation shows us the most profound truth is this, that the best and most effective vehicle for passing on truth is through relationships. The best and most effective vehicle for passing on truth is relationships, that God himself would walk among us enduring all that we did. Hebrews says we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. And, the, and for the sake of revealing himself to us, Jesus, the very personification of truth, comes and says, I'm here. I'm in the room. I'm in the room. And now he invites you and he invites me to influence the world around us. In Acts 17, we find this text. He made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, Having determined, pay attention to that word, having determined, God determined a lot of periods and the boundaries of your dwelling place, of my dwelling place. God determined. In other words, God has purposefully put you here with a purpose. God determined that you are here. This is the right place. The right time because God has placed you here with a purpose. God has arranged your world and mine, including our relational world, in such a way that we are meant to influence and impact those around us. But sadly, we don't often think of our relationships 
as having missional purpose. We often overlook that, but how many of us can testify to the fact that over a coffee, over a meal, sitting at someone's dining table, perhaps even here after a service, someone put their arm around you, someone took a moment to encourage you, to lift your eyes, to point you towards Jesus, to let you know you're not alone, to encourage you. How many of us can testify to that goodness? Because we carry with us the Holy Ghost, the Spirit of the living God in us. And there's something that each and every one of us has to give to this world. But the thing is that can we point to this Jesus, this compelling God who says, I want to know you intimately. And I dare say today, we can. Live wisely, Paul writes to the Colossian church, among those who are not believers and make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be gracious and attractive. Let your words be sorted with grace so that you will have the right response for everyone. My friends, we want truth to spill out. We don't want truth contained within these walls. We don't want truth held here. We want it to spill out from here into the city, into the coffee shops, into the boardrooms and the bedrooms and the classrooms. We want truth to be taken from here into this city and disseminated in a way that brings glory to God and advances His kingdom. As Christians, as believers, as children of God, friends, we cannot separate our secular relationships from our spiritual life. Your secular relationships, the people that you meet, the ones in your colleagues, the ones in the sports field, these are people that you are called to influence. And one of the things that's become abundantly clear through this series to us is that there's brokenness all around us. The church, that is you and I. Perhaps you can turn around and tell someone, you are the church. Like you mean it. You are the church. See, Nazir, you are the church. You are the church. Sahe, you are the church, my friend. Fini, you are the church. You are the church. This is not an abstract idea. This is, when we say the church, it is easy to fall into that pattern of thinking. We're talking about some organization. We're talking about some movement. We're talking about a building. We're talking about a space. No, I'm actually talking about you. I'm talking about myself. This is the church. And the church cannot afford to be ill-informed or silent on topics that are so crucial to society these days. We cannot afford to be unaware. We cannot afford to bury our heads in the sand and pretend like it's someone else's problem. It is not. It belongs in our hands because in our hearts we carry the Spirit of God. The answer that everyone's looking for, that deep desire, that hunger to be accepted, to be seen, to be loved, to be recognized and received is in Jesus. And you carry that. And we are called to carry that to the rest of the world. Now the question is, how do we do that? And that's where we are going today. I'm going to give you those practical tools I told, told you about. So the first one of those is this. Build relational bridges. With a nod to Nikki sitting over there. I love the idea that Alpha has small groups sitting around a table over a meal. You start with this. Build some friendships. It's the most powerful tool there is. 
And one of the things that you and I need to recognize is I really don't care what people say about me if I don't know them. I genuinely don't. Someone can walk up to me on the street and say, Sir, you don't look great today. Oh, actually, you won't know my name. Hey, buddy. You don't look great today. Your jeans are kind of tatty and dirty and your shirt, and I think you can afford to lose a little weight. I don't care that, what their opinion is. But when someone I love says something to me, that matters. When someone I respect and honor and consider a friend says something, that matters. I think uh, I've been on eldership now for eight years, and uh, Rob and I, and for those of you who are new, Rob leads the eldership team of which I am a part. And uh, we've had some battles, both shoulder to shoulder and facing each other. But what's formed out of that is this deep friendship. And because of that, when I've seen Rob minister to people who are hurting. And I tell you, he's, he's gentle, he's caring, and he's gracious. And then it comes to me, less so. He's almost brutally direct. You know why? Because he knows. He doesn't have to waste time with me. He knows that I know his heart towards me is always one of the best intentions. So he doesn't waste time with pretty language. He just tells me, Sajid, get your act together. Thank you, Jerry. (laughs) And it's like, you know, my kids talking to me. Like, hey, Dad, stop fluffing around. Tell us what you have to say. Right? And that's how it is. So building relational bridges is the best way to share truth. Because sometimes truth is not really welcome, isn't it? Nobody likes to be told, hey, buddy, you need to get your act together. But when you have friends, you say it with kindness, with grace, with love. But the first lesson to sharing truth is this. Listen. It is in listening that we earn the right to speak. I remember when I was little, I might have been a little bit of a talkative child. I may have been opinionated, right? Possibly, I can't imagine it, right? I, I thought I was quiet and kind and well-behaved. But one of the things my parents often told me is, hey, you've got two ears and one mouth. Listen more, talk less. Right? That's the reason God gave you two ears and one mouth. Now, I'm not sure that's the reason, but, uh, but I think there's some wisdom in that. It is in listening actually hearing the stories of people that we find we earn the right to speak into their lives. We're not here to fix people. Friends, we're not. You and I, we can't fix people. We can't give them a silver bullet. We can only give them Jesus. So we listen and we point them to Jesus. Create a safe place where people can be vulnerable, be open because they've built trust with you. Second thing, be real. Be authentic. All of us. I think uh, one of the titles for the series was that we are all sexually broken. And it's true. We are all broken. In some form or another, everything within me rejected and rebelled at that idea when I first saw it. I'm like, no, I'm not. Well, I can't really say that because I know I am. But you might think, no, I'm not. We are. Every one of us needs Jesus. All of us fall short of his glory. So be transparent. Be truthful, be honest. We don't speak from a place of moral superiority. We, we speak into the lives of others from a place of recognizing that we first have received grace. We first have received mercy. We first, in love, have been drawn into His kingdom. And it is from that place that we reach out and minister to others with a gentleness and a disarming winsomeness that points to this really compelling Jesus. 
That's how we reach out to others. So be honest. Be discerning. You can't carry something all the time. You can't share your story all the time in a way that with, there are some truths, some things in my life. If I were to share them, it'll hurt more than help. So I need to be exercising wisdom. There are things that are appropriate. There are things that are not. You're not hiding things. You're just using what you have in a way that brings glory to God. There's a legitimate tension we read between asking God to use my story and living with discretion. I want to have a testimony, not a reputation. And part of being transparent is this, my friends. Sharing truth must be more than just words. See, um, I've got my family here. I've got my kids in the room. I've got Pan and Leah. Johnny's away somewhere. My wife is here, very much and very vocal, if I say anything. My son, my daughter-in-law. The thing is this. If I say anything from here that I do not live out back home, I will hear about it. I promise you that. They will challenge me. And that's the way we must live. We must live lives that are so transparent that not just our words, but our actions, the way that we love our wives, the way we love our children, the way we relate to the people around us must reflect the truth that we speak. So be real. Be real. Thirdly, talk truth. See, biblical knowledge, the understanding of Scripture, doesn't magically fill our minds when we give our lives to Jesus. It's a process and it's a journey. Be intentional. Spend time in the Word of God. Make it a habit to talk to others about what you learn. I remember Michelle asking me, how do you remember Scripture? And I promise you, I do not sit and memorize Scripture like a schoolboy. I do intentionally read the Word of God. There are texts that I try to assimilate into my life and make them real. And that's how I memorize Scripture. But the easiest way for me is as soon as I learn something, I share it. So our family WhatsApp group can be quite overwhelming. But as soon as I learn something this morning from what I learn in my devotions, I'm happy to go and share it with someone else. Whoever God brings my way, I look for an opportunity to share that. And I must tell you this. Do not make it sound really stuffy. You know, you don't have to do this. You don't have to tell someone, you know, brother, this morning, as I meditated on the word of God, the Holy Spirit impressed on my heart. No, just tell them in real language. Friends, I really feel God's service in me. God's sharing, showing me this. He's adjusting this in my life. I want to encourage you with this word. He's faithful from generation to generation. Whatever it is, just share it. And you'll find that God uses that. Be alert to teachable moments. One of the best ways in which you can teach your family, if you watch TV together, every 30 seconds, there's a teachable moment. <laughs> if you watch any TV program today, I promise you, if you're watching as a family, there's a teachable moment in there. There are teachable moments when you're on the sports field. There are teachable moments when someone is marginalized or neglected. There are teachable moments in shared experiences. Be alert to them. With kindness, with generosity, draw them in to Jesus. Boldly model God-honoring conversations everywhere God places you. I promise you I'm almost at the end. Says every preacher. 
finally, stay in the mess. There's no formula for walking people through brokenness. There's no formula. There's no easy way to help people who have been abused and devastated. Sometimes it can take years and years and years. Stay in the mess. Don't give up. Don't give up on that person that you've been investing in and you feel like, I'm going nowhere. Linda Dillo, co-founder of Authentic Intimacy, says this. There are many times when working with wounded women that I felt like giving up. How can I trust God, give so much, and it be so messy and blow up in my face? And it does happen from time to time. But we don't give up. Because your voice might be the only voice speaking truth and love into the lives of the people around you. It's hard. It's hard. And I know there are times when you think, I don't have the answers for this. There are times when we're in the middle of something and I feel, Lord, if I knew this earlier, I might have just gone the other way. But God in his wisdom points things to us even afterwards. Once we started, he says, don't take your hand off that one now. Stay in the mess, my friends. doesn't matter if you don't know all the answers. But have you ever experienced in your dark days, in your moments when you're feeling low, the arm of a friend on your shoulder? A whisper in your ear saying, you're not alone. Someone who will encourage you and say, it's going to get better. Someone who points you to the fact that Jesus never leaves you, that in the midst of your pain, though you walk through that valley, he's right there. Have you ever experienced that? I would encourage you, be that for someone else. I got a message. I spoke to someone after the first service who came to us, uh, a young lady, and she stood here in tears. And she said, thank you. Thank you for what you'll do. Thank you for having those conversations that nobody else wants to have. And you know what? It's remarkable. Um, do you mind passing my phone through there? I just want to share a little bit. It's on the side pocket there, in my bag. If you bear with me a moment, I just want to share a little bit of this story with you. I did ask her permission. She says this, I knew the series was on sexuality, but I didn't know it was going to be this. I invited my friend from India to just attend the service with me. Think about that. I invited my friend from India join online on zoom we connected on zoom and watched the whole service together and wept and a whole process of healing has begun for the both of us what bravery what heart and what courage i'm so grateful to be part of a church that has difficult conversations you must know more than ever now there's a whole section of the church that's suffering in silence from these brutal attacks thank you for vocalizing what's been suppressed for so long thank you for being advocates for all of us. See, the big thing is this. She invited her friend. She invited her friend and together they are on a journey of healing. See, you don't recognize that God has infused within you. He's invested within you the Holy Spirit. And that's power. That's power. See, friends, sexual disciple or any discipleship for that matter, is impossible without purposeful, intentional, missional relationships. God has ordained your world and mine. He's ordained our relationships for a reason. He'll give you wisdom. He will give you discernment. You'll be part of his work through that. You have been invited to influence the world one life at a time. 
I remember when we were out in Sussex with uh, the first Genesis uh, meeting and Chris was talking about this third sphere, seven billion people who've never heard the name of Jesus. And I must admit that uh, perhaps with an apostolic gifting that like the one Chris has, you can see that's, that's possible. But for me, I can't see seven billion. But I can see one, seven billion hands. You can be seeing one person. You can be influencing one person. You've been invited to do that. With God's truth, one relationship at a time. The question is, would you care to? Would you dare to do that? So this morning during worship, Jerry came and whispered something to me. Are you sure you don't want to come up here and share it, Jerry? <laughs> I love putting her on the spot here. She came and whispered something to me. She said this. She said, God is healing hearts in the room. God is busy removing the last scabs from scars. And he says, he's gift wrapping you. He's putting a little bow on it. And he's presenting you with something. Now, for those of you who feel you're too broken, for those of you who feel you're not ready or not good enough, can I say this? God's done it. He's done it. He's finished the work for you. Receive it. Allow the Holy Spirit to heal you. And then he ties it up beautifully in a bow. And then he gives you to the world around you. And he says, you are my gift. You, the church. You are my gift to the world because you are my ambassador. You are my voice. You're the one who carries my message. And when you do that, I'll step in. Would you do that today? Would you care? I want you to know this. You have permission. You're free. Carry the love of God to a broken world around you with intention. With intention and God will use you.